What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. We've got Jake Bush on again. Uh, he is a, a big buck killer. He's killed a couple of great bucks this year. And uh, Hannah, his she's your wife, right? You guys are married? Girlfriend. She's Girlfriend. <laughs> working on that part. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Put that <laughs> ring on there. <laughs> oh yeah i hear it all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Oh, um so okay so yep and hannah just killed a giant the other day so uh i had got jake on today we're going to talk about kind of winter and spring scouting and information that can really lead to success in the fall um a lot of people kind of think that hunting is I know this is super cliche, but it's only like a you know a, a September to to December thing. But really, a lot of these big buck killers that I've had on the podcast this year, a bunch of them are, have the same line, and they say we kill our deer in the spring, whether it's planting food plots or setting up uh, you know trail uh, tree stands or creating new trails or new bedding area, or it's just doing major scouting and finding that deer for next year and on public ground where you can't have that uh, property manipulation. That is, that's Jake Bush's specialty. Um, it's something I've done a lot of as well. So that's what we're going to dive into is what you need to do over the next few months to increase your odds of success in the fall, because there's a ton of information that you can find. And personally for me, once I started doing this, um, and really spending a lot of time in the woods in, in February, March, and April, my, my, uh, just seeing deer went through the roof, um, and getting opportunities at mature deer really started to increase. So I would imagine, is that the same for you, Jake? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, for me, the more work that I put in, you know, the more, uh, miles of boots on the ground, the more days, the more days that I spend scouting, the more time that I spend in the woods, the more cameras that I run, it's all a direct reflection of my success. You know, I can, it, it seems like it correlates perfectly where the more work I put in, the more success I have, and then success that, you know, others around me like Hannah can have as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, that's what we're talking about today, everyone. If that's something you're interested in, stick around for the podcast and let's hop into it, Jake. So I know you've been doing um, a bunch of scouting lately, um, right before we started the recording. Uh, Ohio is a one buck state. So since you killed your buck right off the bat, you are have been, you know, every time you're getting out and around the woods there, you're scouting for next year to find that next year's buck. So what are you know, what, what, how are you breaking that down? Like, how are you even starting? Are you just like picking a piece and going, ah, I wonder what's in here? Or are you, are you focused on something else? So for me, my e-scouting has become a lot more fine-tuned over the years. Uh, used to be, I would pick a piece of land and I would try to just dissect that piece and come up with whatever I could on that specific piece. Uh, and, you know, as I've gotten older now, I don't mind driving further. I don't mind spending more time out there. In fact, I've come to love scouting probably more than hunting itself, to be completely honest with you. And so, you know, for me at this point, I've found success doing a couple different things and I've learned to kind of replicate that in my area. So in my home state, I've learned, you know, of Ohio now I've learned that 
I'm looking for like a specific hub system. I'm looking for the leeward side of these ridges. I'm looking for hard to access spots. Uh, if they're, if they have nearby private ag, that's a bonus for me. If they have clear cuts nearby, that's a bonus for me. And I'm trying to just, you know, take a list of like 15 things that I need from a spot. And when I can check everything on that list, I'll put a pin there and I'll go scout that spot. So it starts out for me, you know, I'll, I'll say, okay, I want to, I want to go scout this ridge system, this hub. I'll go through my topography maps and I'll overlay those with satellite imagery as well and try to find, you know, things like uh, leeward bedding points. I'll try to find transition lines. I'll try to find what I believe is going to be some sort of destination food source, any sort of terrain feature that's going to kind of funnel deer as they're headed towards that food source. I'll try to mark as many of those things as possible. You know, I'll mark every single bedding point that I think will hold beds or every bowl of a ridge system that I think will hold beds. And before, before I even put boots on the ground, I'll try to come up with uh, basically like a, a path of travel or a way to dissect that property from home before I even step foot in there. And one reason I really like doing that is, you know, I used to just mark a spot and go in there and I would get overwhelmed. It would just be extremely overwhelming to me. And I would, to be honest with you, waste a lot of time that I didn't need to spend in certain areas. So what I do now is I mark all those spots and then I'll actually draw like a route of travel. You know, I'll enter here, I'll walk this ridge in, and then I'll start going up and down these bedding points, searching for every bed I can find. You know, I'll walk through this clear cut, this direction. I'll check these flats to see if they hold acorns or not. I'll check these Creek crossings and I'll, I'll set up like a schedule for myself in the woods. So uh, new spot this year, it's, I actually went in there and hunted it with my brother, just completely blind. And we liked what we saw. So I decided I was going to put a lot of time and effort into it this season. Uh, I think it can hold some of the top tier bucks that I'm that I really want to chase. So I uh, segmented it out into seven different sections that I want to check. And those sections are anywhere from two to three days a piece. So I know I'm going to have 20 days to go into that spot, but I've segmented it out so I can go in and be very precise and attack those beds and attack the areas that I want to check. And then I can get out of there, go back, look at my maps, you know, try to write down the notes that I want to have and then go into the next area the next day. And the other reason I really like doing that is like the overwhelming side of it. You don't want to become not necessarily lazy, but just like lackadaisical with your scouting process. You want to be very fine tuned. You want to take your time. You want to walk slow. You want to make sure that you're not missing something that's going to lead to you not having an opportunity on the buck that you're chasing. And that's something that I've learned too. You know, I used to just fly through these areas and now I'm, I'm very precise with what I'm doing and I've slowed down a lot and uh, it's, it's led to a lot greater success and a lot better in encounters you know i feel like my encounters are much closer than they used to be and a lot of that's due to the fact that i'm really trying to dissect how these deer are actually traversing from their beds to their food sources and where i'll have the best opportunity at like let's say a sub 15 yard shot sure yeah and that okay so i got you know there's a lot of there's a lot of questions and just talking about that whole process that you have right there and there's a lot more to go too but one of the first things I want to mention is the reason, you know, you killed a really nice buck this year, right? And you've already got a lot of um, great hunting spots 
and great property like public land to get after and go on, but you're still continuing to scout more. And the reason I would imagine the reason is because, and this is something that, that I think everyone should do is like every buck is different. Every year is different. The food rotates, uh, the crops rotate, the mass crops rotate, um, pressure picks up in different areas. And if you're not continually scouting and to continually looking for, for new areas and new bucks, you can have like, you can have major drops in like the consistent success that you've had. Whereas if you're always out there, you're always looking, you're always going, you're, you're never like, uh, what do I want to say? Content. You're never content with where you're at and you're always trying to find that next step. That's why you're always out there. And especially if you had, um, to everybody listening, especially if you had really poor seasons this year, like the first step isn't waiting until next year and trying to set up trail cameras in August. The first step is going to the ground that you hunted and seeing is there even and the sign there that that says there are deer and if it's not go find new pieces and I know like I know you and I share that same thought in the sense of the more ground you have to hunt the more opportunities that are going to appear for you and the more plan b plan c plan d you'll have and a lot of people get stuck on well I hunt you know my grandpa's 70 acres or I hunt my buddy's 45 so that's where I go and you might hunt that and it might, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being amazing, it might be a, a property that's a six or seven, but one year it might be a three. And if you don't have the ability to quickly hop off and go to a piece of public 20 minutes away, like you're kind of stuck for that whole year and you might be stuck for multiple years. Or what if you lose permission or something like that? So there's always reasons to get out and scout and, and look at new pieces. Right. Do you agree with all that? I do. Yeah. And you know, it's the, it's the evolution of a bow hunter too. The more time and effort that you spend in the woods, the more fine-tuned your craft's going to become. And that's the most important factor. If you ask me, you know, like even if it's a spot that you're not necessarily going to hunt, say you scout it and it's just not what you thought it was going to be. You still have a lot of takeaways from that location. And then, like you said, you can always fall back on it if need be, but for me, I just, I can't imagine not working hard enough and I can't imagine not having enough backup plans or not having enough, you know, different options when season comes in, not enough bucks picked out. You know, I, I can't imagine getting to season and not having what I need because I didn't do my homework and my work in the off season. Like I just, to me, that's not even an option. It doesn't even cross my mind. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, I've been burned with, you know, having a couple spots that were good and, you know, you lose permission or you have another bow hunter who's up and coming, who moves into that spot and scouts it hard and hunts it hard. And he kills the deer that you're after, you know, that's the constant, that's a possibility too. It happens all the time. So for me, it's just about having backup plans. And like I was saying before, I just love spending time in the woods, which I think most guys that would be listening to this podcast are probably the same way, you know, like that's, that's kind of my escape is to get out there. So yeah, I'm learning whitetails and I'm doing all that, but I love doing that anyways. There's nothing about it. That's work that feels like work to me. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and, you know, over the years you do gain a lot more spots and you have a lot more options, but I feel like you can always cross one off the list and, and stack another 
spot that's better on top of where you're at, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you and I share that same common attitude of uh, fear of missing out like FOMO fear of thinking that, dude, if I just went over that next ridge, that's where the, like the ultimate spot's going to be in that 180 is going to be sitting. Right. Yeah. It's like having OCD <laughs> in the whitetail world. Is what I feel like, to be honest with you, because yeah. I, if there's a cut that's leeward, like past that ridge, even though I didn't have it marked on the map, I'm like, I, I have to go over there. Like I cannot <laughs> not go over there. And I'll tell you what, it seems like when I get in that situation and I'm like contemplating going or not, and I go, generally it works out in my favor. Generally I'll find the better sign because probably the chances are everybody else was feeling the same way I was. Nobody wanted to go to that next step. So yeah. that's what biggest buck on the mountain lives is back in that holler and it's like you know it just seems like if i get to the point where i have to where i have to push myself it generally works out in my favor yeah yeah and the other big thing is <clears throat> you know you're kind of targeting like a you know a very mature buck and it's not necessarily a score but but in rough terms you know a, 150 inches or greater or even you know that 170 180 190 range and those bucks are not around every corner, right? You got to cover ground in order to find them. Um, and it might take, like you said, you sectioned off that whole thing into seven pieces and it's going to take you 20 days and you might find, you know, two or three spots in that whole area that would hold a buck like that and that you get trail camera pictures of, right? And, and so it's not like, it's not like, yeah, you can just bank on, you know, this, 200 acre chunk to hold something big that you're after because it might not yeah and it might only um, hold the, it, it might only hold the buck you're after every five years you know yeah. it could be uh, like you like you mentioned earlier a uh, change of food source say you have a bad oak year like we had this year a lot of my good spots that i've had the last couple of years weren't as good because the food was gone there was there was a scarcity of food on the mountain so a lot of those deer shifted around, you know, they move more localized into like clear cuts or to private ag. Uh, so it changed a lot, but next year I might have the buck I'm after back in that spot. So just the, right. just having a ton of backup plans to try to find whatever you're after is, is never going to be a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, for sure. Like, yeah, that's not a hundred percent. So, and, and, and it might seem like a lot, a lot of work, but like you said, Jake, you know, when you're out there and you're looking for almost everybody on here, it's who's listening to this. It's not work really. It's, it's fun and everybody enjoys it. Um, but it's, it's just getting that time away from work, away from family, away, you know, away out there, um, that, that can be difficult. And, and with that, um, you know, you kind of got to, like you said, pick your, pick your, pick your best spots via e-scouting and go look. And it's something you'll learn over time to be able to pick a spot and go, okay, this is actually going to be worth my time or this is not, you're going to have a lot of duds and you're going to have a lot of crappy walks before you start figuring out, okay, this is, this is worth, you know, a whole day in here because it's going to be, I know it's going to be good. Um, when you're out there and breaking down pieces of ground, in this springtime, um, let's, I'm trying to think of how to structure this because there's a few different ways to go. Are you looking for, 
are you looking for like early season spots or rut spots or pre-rut spots? Or are you just like looking for general sign and then letting the sign tell you what time frame to hunt that in? Or how are you, how are you doing that? So I'm really just trying to focus in on a buck's home range and that home range will allow me to pattern them in the summer and, you know, in, in a primary spot, let me, let me mention that because I have secondary spots where they do have a shift come hunting season, but in the primary locations that I'm hunting, they hold deer all year round because they have everything they need. They have food, they have cover, they have anything that a deer needs to survive there. So trying to find those core areas, those home ranges of these big bucks, that way I can kill him early season. I can kill him late season. I can kill him, you know, on and off throughout the rut. There's, there's a lot more opportunity where, as opposed to like a rut location, you, you're really fine tuning yourself into like a couple weeks stretch, maybe a month stretch. And some early season locations work out the same way. You know, if it's a food source that ends up getting cut, you might only get a couple weeks at them, but if you can find the right areas, if you can find these core areas that hold everything that these mature deer need, you have a lot more opportunity. And, you know, a perfect example of that was Hannah's buck. She killed him yesterday, uh, 150 inch deer yesterday. And we could have killed that deer early season too. You know, there was, it, it makes it easier and you'll become more efficient with that. The more you do it. Um, I do have spots that, our secondary locations that they don't hold a mature buck all the time, but I could get one there during the rut or I could get one there really early season before some of the private ag nearby gets cut. Uh, but in general, I'm really focusing on those core areas to try to just, you know, it just gives you so much more option, so much more yeah. options basically. Okay. So then can you break down what, um, what you think, what sign you see that helps you to say this is a core area and not just a wintering ground or something like that? Yep. So uh, a, a really good change in topography or like a diversity in terrain and topography, you know, the more ridges that you have, the more like leeward versus windward, you know, because they're going to bed differently based on is it winter time when we have a north wind and it's cold they'll be on the south side of the ridge versus the north side of the ridge uh what kind of food do they have nearby you know is it loaded with a variety of different oaks so whites reds blacks anything else you might have in your area is there a lot of green briar is there a lot of undergrowth that they can feed on is there a good amount of clear cuts you know what are you looking at if i find a spot that's Let's say it's got, it's really far from the road and it has really difficult access. Like, okay, there's one check mark. It's hard to get to, but it's just solid timber. And it's a lot of like maple, you know, there's a ton of maple on that whole ridge system, not a lot of oaks. Well, that's not going to be a spot that holds a lot of mature deer, regardless of how the terrain and topography sets up, because there's not really a whole lot going on. But now if you add a clear cut into the mix, you know, that's going to help quite a bit. That's a food source to have year round. If you add a bunch of greenbrier on top of the ridges, that helps a lot. That's a food source and a bedding source and a bedding location that they'll have throughout the year. Uh, you know, you're just really trying to stack as many of those factors as possible. And then I think I might already mentioned it, but yeah, my best spots have all of that. You know, they'll have those 10 things and I'll have to check off every one of them. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I, so when you're out there, you're looking, okay, you're looking, 
when you find an area, so what, what tells you when you find an area, is it just a, a bed or is it rubs? Is it scrapes? What are, when you're talking about a spot, like what are you, what are you finding that makes you stop and go, okay, this looks good. So it's going to be a, a variety of deer sign in general, you know, really the more sign, the better. I found that my best spots that are holding these deer all year round will hold more deer at certain times of the year. So uh, droppings are going to be a big one, big tracks, you know, well-used trails. Uh, obviously rubs are telling you that there's bucks there at some point in the year. I've got a love hate relationship with rubs. and I don't put a lot of stock into them because you're not quite sure when it was rubbed. You know, you know that it was rubbed sometime between September and February a lot of times, but you can't really fine tune that unless it's like a, a bigger, you know, like a signpost rub. Um, scrapes are going to be really big. Scrapes are something I really focus on. And then the number one thing, hands down, is going to be beds. You know, I'm getting into these areas. I'm saying, hey, you know, we had this food source this year. This oak flat was hot. So I think that the point of this clear cut on this leeward ridge would be a really good bedding location. And so I'll go in there and I'll, you know, basically walk back and forth on those points and in the bowls of that clear cut. If I find a bunch of really good, well-used beds that are big beds, I know I'm in a good spot. And you, like I said, the more you do it, it's kind of almost an automatic thing. Like you go into a lot of these spots and they set up the way that you want. I've talked about hubs a lot and the reason a bunch of different directions for different winds too. So it helps that be, uh, it, it, makes that much more of a core area for a mature buck. Um, but yeah, beds is the number one thing, hands down, you know, I'm looking for, I'll get into these beds. I'll look for hair. I'll look for a lot of times I'll find sheds in them. You find droppings, you find big tracks. If you find a rub in the bed that helps a lot. And you know, another question I get asked a lot is how can you determine like a doe bed versus a buck bed? Well, in general, buck beds are going to be solitary beds but they're also going to be set up for very specific directions in a lot of cases. So, you know, if it's a Northeast facing Ridge, he would bed there on a Southwest wind where the wind's blowing over his back and you'll, they'll, they'll almost be in the right spot. You know, a lot of times they will be where there's like a really good military crest or some sort of drop off, or they will be on a really steep bank that has a root wad where they can bed where the tree fell at one point And there was like a flat spot because of that root wad, uh, you know, there's a lot of different factors. The size of the bed helps quite a bit. If you can see like the half moon and you can see the actual, like the way that he was facing. Um, when I'm finding doe beds, a lot of times they, they're kind of just scattered throughout the woods. You know, they don't have necessarily the elevation advantage. They don't have like a wind advantage because these doe groups will tend to bed in a circle and kind of count on each other to help with like their sight advantage or their scent advantage. They don't need to have the perfect setup where a big solitary buck is only depending on himself the majority of the time. You know, he wants to make sure that all he cares about is himself. He wants to make sure that he can survive based on his own senses, not another deer. So you'll kind of see that as you do it more. Okay. Gotcha. So <clears throat> yeah, the, and that is a, a question that I ask myself all the time is when I find a bed um, and it's a larger bed, I guess the, fir the first question I'll ask is, are there other beds around? Um, I'll always look for a rub right away. Like, is there a rub close to this? Because then that would usually signify some sort of buck bed. 
Um, not always, but it, it generally would. Um, and then the next question is, are there, you know, four or five other beds around here? Cause then this is very likely just a big doe. Right. And, and she's going to have some fawns hanging out with her and, and maybe other does too, because it seems like in the, I mean, obviously in the, in the winter, um, especially if you're out scouting in, in even January and February, um, deer will herd up. Right. So you get these big groups of does together. Do you find that will the bigger bucks bed with those does at all? Or do you think that even though they're in that same, you know, picked corn or standing soybean field or whatever at night, they're moving off and bedding totally on their own still? So I don't think that a big buck is going to change his habits due to other deer being there. And the one the one thing I I would be careful with a little bit is I do still find a lot of buck beds that have quite a few beds nearby. You know, like when I killed my buck this year, I had to weave through some bedding areas I knew of that had beds. And a lot of times those are still satellite bucks. If you have a decent population or, you know, if it's the point of a Ridge, you might have three or four different beds on different sides of that point based on like the specific wind. So say that you have a South versus Southwest or a Southeast on that point, he might bed, you know, even if it's, five to 10 feet different. He might just want that little bit more of an advantage wind wise in his favor. So I do see that quite a bit. Um, the one thing that I've noticed down here too, and this is going to change obviously geography wise throughout the country. But what I found in Ohio is a lot of my best buck bedding areas become just general deer bedding areas as the season progresses. And the reasoning for that, that I've came up with is a buck wants the best bed all year round, right? He wants to be in the beds with that have the most cover with the hardest access, the furthest away from people. He doesn't want to get pestered and he wants to, you know, have some sort of food source nearby so he can survive. Uh, generally they're going to be in like a thicket of some sort. Well, as the season goes on and we lose a lot of our cover, a lot of the doe bedding areas move back into these thicker areas. So the deer become a lot more congested. So when I'm winter scouting and, and spring scouting, I'll find a lot more deer sign in these areas. And I, it, it's kind of hard sometimes to write it, You almost want to write them off as like doe areas, but you got to remember the does general bedding where they normally bed there's no cover there anymore. There's, you know, they've been pressured in that area. So they've all shifted back into that, into that prime location for late season. So like, you know, if I want to go out on a doe hunt right now, I would go to one of my best buck bedding spots because I know it's going to hold just deer in general. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I've come up with that theory as well on my own. It's kind of like the, um, it's uh, my, my thought was a little bit different. I, I call them like the primary bedding areas. And then throughout the year, right. Um, as, as cover decreases and as pressure increases and food sources decrease, these deer all tend to, they herd up into these very specific bedding areas that have the most cover and the most food and the most, or the least amount of pressure. And that's where I get, I mean, we both fall in line there. That's where big bucks want to be all year round. Um, and does just happen like they're okay, you know, betting even on public ground, you know, in early season before there's no pressure, they're okay betting, you know, a hundred yards from a food source. Um, 
But once that pressure picks up, they just like slowly creep back. Okay, there's danger here now. There's danger here now. We need to walk a little bit further at night to get here. Um, you know, and they just push back. And that's where right in the winter with very, very, very little cover, they head to the thickest areas, which are also the thickest, even thicker when it's green. So those those bucks really like those areas. Yeah. I So, yes, that that makes a lot of sense. Um what you're saying and they I guess my biggest question is so if if you're walking you know I have a ton of snow on the ground right now it's freaking like two degrees out here in Wisconsin right now and I got a ton of snow and it will have snow for the next you know three months and I'll be able to find beds really really easily based on that snow but in Ohio you guys don't get a ton of snow so I would imagine um, it's going to be easier for me to find those beds and look at the size of them and try to understand like where they're bedding versus, um, or if it's, if it's a doe group kind of in a circle, or if it's a buck off on his own with does just close by, how are you doing? How are you looking at a bed like without snow on the ground and having, you know, six or seven other beds close by and saying this one is probably the big buck besides just the size like is there any other indicators there so yeah and it it really comes back to uh like if you if you follow beast tactics you'll understand this and if you don't follow like the hunting beast tactics uh i i highly recommend doing that because that's where a lot of us have learned a ton of our information you know like everything that i'm talking about and that I've learned has come from guys like Dan Infall, Andy May, you know, the DeQuistos, all these guys that have already had this information out there. And basically I absorbed all that information that I could. And I've over time kind of put my own twist on it just through my own experiences out in the woods. So I highly recommend that. But if you follow those tactics, generally what you'll find, and especially if you do any studying on it is that like if you have the point of a ridge, the most mature deer wants to have the bed that has the best advantage. Generally speaking, that best advantage will be the point of the ridge. Now, reason being, it, it, and especially if it's thick and especially if it's going to have a drop off on it where they can have a really good elevation advantage. But reason being is they could have beds or they could have deer bedded behind them on the ridge that are kind of like a buffer for them or in front of them that are kind of a buffer. They can smell anything coming down the ridge and they can watch down the hill. So if a bed doesn't set up perfectly for that, I kind of write it off as the primary bed. You know, when I'm finding all these beds, I've, I've talked about it before, I'll go through and I'll locate every single one of them and I'll try to get down in the bed and you check for hair, check for tracks. And then I want to determine what advantage does this deer have that would make it a bed that a four or five or six-year-old buck would want to lay in. And is there any disadvantage that's like a severe disadvantage where it would be easy to kill him? Because if there is, it's probably not a mature buck bed. In most circumstances, it could be, but for highly pressured deer like I'm hunting, that's not the case. You know, they're going to have that advantage. So uh, going through every bed, I'm really just fine tuning it based on that. And I've, I've just picked up these little things to pay attention to, like the different advantages that he has, you know, uh, if there's a J hook into the bed, you can see like a clear definitive trail or you can see tracks from a J hook into the bed. 
obviously, like we talked about the size of the bed, any sort of rubs nearby, how tall are those rubs? Those are all going to be big factors. And uh, another thing too, that you got to be careful of with winter scouting and spring scouting is if you're in the wrong area, if you're in a very harsh environment, a lot of the deer activity or even the bedding that you're going to find is going to be dictated by food late season. So you can run into issues. Like when I lived in New York, I lived just South of Buffalo. So it wasn't uncommon to get, you know, snowstorms that were three or four feet of snow and the deer had to act totally different. So I would find clusters of beds really close to food sources and that's not where those deer are the rest of the season. So I would almost have to wait until the snow melt, the snow would like basically completely melt off so I could find the beds from the previous season. And they are preserved really nice and the scrapes are preserved really nice underneath the snow. So it's still possible, but I found that if I got out in too deep a snow and was looking for fresh sign, that it would actually hurt me come season. Where in a place like Ohio, you know, we're lucky if we get four inches of snow on the year. We, we've only got a half inch of snow up to this point in the year so far. And our wind is generally the same as Southwest winds. So the bedding that they're doing now is the same bedding they're doing early season or any other time. If you're in the right spot and you're in one of those core areas, I just want to point that out because I don't want to steer somebody off on fresh, you know, January, February sign and three feet of snow when that might not be where the deer are at they might only be there because of the food source yeah yeah that's a great point um and that is something we're gonna we're gonna kind of cover today um and that was something i or that was something i wanted to cover today was what is the sign that it's going to lead you astray in the winter versus like in the early season or, or late season or i'm sorry in the early season or, or pre-rut or rut um and yes i I certainly agree. I mean, I was out hunting this morning um, and then I came in and I went and checked uh, one of these fields and there were a bunch of buck, uh, not buck beds. There were a bunch of beds right in this like timber line um, between these two ag fields. And I know for a fact that they don't bed there during the year. Um, and they, and that's just a spot where they lay down while they're eating at night. You know, they eat from 10 to midnight and then they lay down from one to two and then they stand back up but it creates a nice impression in the snow and it's a nice bed and some people will take that and say oh there's a bed so they're bedding right on this field edge and it's probably it's very unlikely to be the case in most scenarios you know and especially like um a lot of the public ground that i hunt have big crp fields for pheasant hunters right they plant a lot of pheasants out there and everything and um you'll find in february and march you'll find a bunch of beds in those CRP fields. But I mean, come season, you might be able to find a few deer in those CRP uh, beds um, in the early season right away. But in Wisconsin, pheasant hunting opens up like, I think two or three weeks after bow season. So as soon as those pheasant hunters hit, those CRP beds are essentially meaningless. And you're, you've put a lot of time and effort into trying to hunt a CRP bed that really isn't uh, going to be feasible during season, you know, especially when that pressure picks up. Um, so, okay. We were talking about the, we're talking about the buck beds, um, talking about uh, all the different portions of the buck beds. Is there anything else that we didn't cover? I mean, you're looking for hair. 
Ooh, here's a question for you. Um, do Buck, does Buck like poop droppings, shit, whatever you want to call it, does that look different than dough droppings? So I've went back and forth on this and I don't <laughs> think that I have anything like solid enough. Like I don't have any knowledge or information solid enough to give you a yes or no, to be honest. Now, if I see like a, like big clumped up, like thick droppings, I tend to just think that that's a buck, but I, I don't know for sure. That's something I have in my head where I can, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's definitely a big buck. Like, look at how big that is. But right. I don't know. I, I don't know. I haven't done enough research on it. I don't know if there's a definitive answer out there or not. Um, I wish I did have an answer because that would help a lot because you, you, you know, you find all different types as you're walking around. Right. But the, I would say the one thing that I know is like, if it's really small, it's probably like fawn droppings. Like I know that, like there's, <laughs> there's no doubt about that, but that's all yeah. I can really give you. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. And I think like there was, I remember reading an article on it and it was, uh, it was something like, it really depends on their diet. Like in what, what their, what their poop looks like. It really just depends on their diet. And you know, I know you have a, you have a seven month old, I have an 11 and a three-year-old and the, the droppings that come out of them <laughs> can match me some days. So it's like, you know, you never, you never really know what, uh, what that is specifically, except for the really small ones are certainly fawns. But other than that, um, yeah, they, they said it's the article that I read was, saying it's really just based on their diet. So you can't, you couldn't tell a giant doe versus a mature deer just based on their poop. I agree with that for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, I think, so, I mean, looking for beds, finding beds, um, what happens if you're in an area and you, you like you're, you think it's really thick and you're looking around and you just like, don't, find any beds do you just like write that off or do you try to figure out why or what are you doing then so i ran into this this year already in that spot i was telling you about and this is where the more time that you spend out in the woods and the more knowledge that you gain over time is really going to help you out uh so i got into an area and like i like i was saying before we had a really bad oak year down here in southern ohio you know i put hundreds of miles of boots on the ground and didn't find very many oaks that were holding acorns at all. They were very scarce. So that changed quite a bit of the big woods, hill country hunting that I had. Um, but so I was out scouting and I, I picked out a hub system that had basically transitional clear cuts halfway down these points of the ridges. So it was oak flats up near the spine of the ridge. And as these points would jut out about halfway to the main point where the military crest was, there was a clear cut transition. So talk about perfect. You know what I mean? Now the yeah. front half of all of these points are thick bedding. So I went in and I scouted the first section on day one. And I mean, absolutely hammered with bets just hammered with beds. They're in the perfect spot. It makes all the sense in the world. I went through and I marked all the trails down. You know, I actually got on every trail leading from bedding to food sources, turn my tracker on, on my phone, and I would just follow them. That way I have those trails from beds come hunting season. 
that's really important for me. So I, I correlated them to hub scrapes. You know, I did the whole thing. I, I basically came up with my entire plan where, Hey, Southwest wind bucks going to be bedded here. He's going to go hit this hub scrape and he's going to go to this food source. I'm going to kill him at point a, and if it's a South wind, I'm going to kill him at point B. And if it's a West wind, I'm going to kill him at point C got everything I needed. So I replicated this spot perfectly. I found another spot in this exact same system. That was the next scout that I had. I wanted to go check. So it set up the exact same way. It was actually part of the same clear cut system and same Ridge system. So it was like, uh, these ridges are huge, by the way, you know, this is like a mile and a half away. So I work all the way back into this next spot and I'm scouting around and it has all the same features. It has the Oak flat. It has Greenbrier. It has the thick clear cut transition. It's got the spots that I would generally find beds, you know, the root wads on the really steep cliffs. It's got a couple, uh, falling down trees where there should be a bed right in front of that tree looking down the hill it's got it all but there was no beds no fresh beds from this year so i'm sitting there and i'm thinking about it i'm like what what am i missing what like this is a really good spot this is perfect this is even further from the road it's harder access what am i missing well what i was missing is there was no oaks back there all the oaks were closer towards the road so they were using that section more because eventually you get to the point where there's no hunt. There's like very little hunter pressure. And it doesn't matter how much further go, you, deep you go. If it's all little pressure, you know, they're going to be doing what deer do at that point. They don't have to be forced all the way back there. So what I found was I, I told myself like, well, there's no acorn back here is what the problem is or the food source that they wanted was up there. So what I started doing was digging the leaves back out of these beds. And as I would go through the layers of leaves of the previous years, all of that deer hair was in there. So the deer use this spot and they bed here. It doesn't look like it. You know, if you were to walk through there and you were new at doing this, you'd say, man, there's no beds here. This whole ridge is junk. Well, no, this is one of the best bedding points that I've found that had no fresh beds on it. But I know that if the white Oak flat that's behind that system is hot next year, all my big bucks are going to be there. So I can look at a spot like that and say, even though there's no fresh beds, they do bed here when it's conducive to the, what they need to survive. And it's just not right now. You know, the clear cuts a little bit more grown up to where it's higher stem count of saplings, but it's losing a lot of the green briar and greenery. So they don't have that late season food source. The other validation I found in that spot was if you watch my Instagram story, I found two antlers from last year in that spot. So the deer last year were on that ridge system. Now they had moved, you know, about a mile to the other ridge system. So it would all do, and that's part of what goes into this whole scouting thing. You know, I find all these spots, but I, I'm not, I don't have a magic ball. I don't know what food sources are going to be hot come season. So I still have to go back into all of these areas come summertime and glass all the oak trees and put out my cameras and try to determine where the hot food sources are going to be come season. And that's how I kill these deer. You know, I find these beds, I find these locations, I have to correlate them to a hot food source before I can kill the deer in that area. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a really good tip. Like if you, uh, if you find an area that looks like it should be good, you know, if you're hunting a ridge system, it's that, you know, that, that upper third where you think they're, they're gonna be bedded and whatnot. If you're hunting a swamp, it could be a really good swampy point. 
um, off of like an Oak Island or something like that. Um, and you get there and there's just nothing there. Look through the leaves, look where you think they would bed and look through the leaves. Cause that's, that's something that I never thought about is just that or never thought about previously to this is, is just like, they just might not be here, but you can find if they ever are here by looking through the leaves to see if there's a past history of them. That's a great, that is a hot tip right there, Jake. <laughs> or, yeah, even historical rubs, you know, if you find a spot and a lot of my, if you've probably heard me talk about it before, but I think I like hunting marshes and swamps more than hill country. Like I grew up doing that. I love it. It makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of the beds I would find would be hot or cold based on water levels. You know, that was a big factor. So like I would go into an area and scout it when we had a high water year and there wouldn't be any, you know, even the hair is washed out of the beds at that point. But I would find yeah. some of these root wads out in these swamp systems that had rubs, like old historical rubs in them. And I would say, yeah, this is a buck bed. It's got a rub right in it. Like he's just not here this year because it's not setting up the right way. You know, I, I, you can scout all you want and you can come up with all these plans, but it's always going to change and be situational, which comes back to what we talked about with having all these backup plans and stuff, because you, you don't know what's going to happen throughout the season. There's a thousand different factors that could move a deer in or out of an area, but you need to have that area set up and scouted the right way for if you have a deer there. You right. know, I, on like a side note, I glass a lot of areas and scout a lot of, I scout a lot of areas that I don't plan on even running cameras in, but I'll glass the fields that are nearby. And if I pick up a good buck in one of those fields, then I'll dive in and throw some resources with like trail cameras at it but I already have it scouted. It's just not on my radar until I can validate that a good buck's there because it might not set up the way that I think it would for having a good buck all the time. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a whole nother kind of summer scouting podcast and how, how you do that, that whole glassing piece. Um, and then relate that back to some scouting that you've done previously, but it all, it all ties together because you don't want to be, tromping around in August or July through the, you've, you spot a good buck in a field and you're like, man, I have no idea what's back there. You don't really want to. And it's pretty difficult to, as well, with all the vegetation up to see all the sign, you know, that's one of the biggest things is scouting in February, March, April is that all the vegetation's down and you can see, you know, a hundred yards in the woods and you can see all the sign really easily and you can see all the trails really easily. So then when you do spot that buck in the field in August, you're like, Oh, yep. I, I have a pretty good idea. There are, you know, 19 beds up on this Ridge. He's probably in one of this one or this one. And here's all the trails. Cause I've already turned on my tracker like you do. And I already know where all these trails are coming from. I have opening days, this wind, here's a pinch point that comes together where I can pick up on this trail or here's a scrape. I think he'll hit. I can set up there and let's see what happens. Right. Or I can throw a trail camera in there and see what happens as well. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. And, uh, to go back a little bit, when we were talking about like, you know, you brought up the whole, I don't even know if we really got into it yet, but like the sign, like the sign that can basically turn you into the wrong direction, you know, we yeah, were kind of getting into that get side of it. Um, so yeah, a good one right now to talk about with, with like winter and spring scouting is picking up antlers. So 
it's going to be the same, the same thing that we talked about with beds where it's situational. If that can help you in season or not, you know, obviously it's an inventory thing. You just picked up antlers off a good buck. You have inventory of that deer, you know, he's at least somewhere in that area, which is always going to be good Intel. If you're in a core area, it's really good Intel because if you find them in a bed and you've only had South winds, well, maybe that's the bed he uses all year round. You know, I found multiple sheds last year that set up like that, but where you run into issues is when it's dictated by a food source, once again, just like the beds that we talked about. So the majority of the antlers that people will find will be really, really close to some sort of food source, you know, especially like private ag, you know, I, I grew up shed hunting a lot of cornfields and stuff like that. And I mean, on the buffer strip, I would find, you know, throughout the year, maybe even 50 antlers on the buffer strip of these cornfields. And it was good Intel. It was good inventory, but none of it correlated back to what those deer were necessarily doing early season that for the next year. So you got to be careful there. Um, just, you, you know what I mean? Like you got to be, don't, don't take it as, Oh, I found a shot. I'm going to kill this deer right here, but don't pick up a shot and say, well, I know he's not here because of this, this, and this, like you have to correlate it to whatever's going on in your area at the time. Yeah. So you're finding, so just to dive deeper into that explanation, um, your, you find that antler in that buffer strip. Why don't you think you're going to kill him there? Is, is there just a, do you think he's just like bedding there at night and it just falls off his head or what? Yeah. Especially if it's say it's the only cornfield around for five miles and it's a standing cornfield with a little CRP buffer strip around it that's going to draw in deer from so far away that you might not ever see that deer again, come season. You know, he could be migrating two, three, four miles to that cornfield because it's the only food source left in three feet of snow that they can feed on, you know? So you have to be careful with that information. Now, yes, you can, you can find him again. You can do that. You can run cameras, you can hunt different properties. You can do whatever it takes. Sometimes he is still living there. Sometimes that's his core area and that's his field that he feeds on all the time. But you just got to be careful that you don't put too many stakes into it. If he's traveling a long distance, you know, like back home in New York, it was nothing to drive by some of these cornfields in the wintertime, right before dark. And you can see anywhere up to maybe even a hundred deer in that field. Well, I can tell you those hundred deer aren't living within a half mile of that field year round. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a, that's a big one that can, um, that can set some pretty high expectations and not deliver on is, um, is another, that's another one that you can scout on and find like, holy cow, this cornfield is so tore up. Like there's, like there must be deer all over this. And it's maybe you're walking on a piece of public and you're, you're glass in the private egg. And you're looking at it and you're like, holy cow, there's so many deer here. And, and maybe like you said, the only reason it's there is because, you know, it's the, it's the only standing bean plot or the standing corn, or it's the only like solid food source that hasn't gotten a lot of pressure a lot of the year. And you have all these deer out on this piece, but, you know, most likely, you know, and like, you're probably looking at 15 to 20 deer that are actually like resident deer and the rest are just there you know, for the next month or two until they can move back to their home ranges. Exactly. And, you know, like bringing up all these different examples, the, the thing I'm really trying to get out there is 
I've been guilty of doing this before where I, I create rules for scouting and rules for hunting. Right. And what ends up happening is, yeah, those rules help me quite a bit in certain circumstances, but I've also been burned by sticking to those rules. So what, what I've learned is to constantly be evolving, constantly let the wheels turn. Don't, don't count any possibility out. You know, like I, I talk about scouting and finding beds that are good, finding beds that are bad, finding sheds that are good, finding sheds that are bad. Don't get stuck in one mindset where you believe one way or the other, you know, go into it with an open mind and in real time, try to dissect what's happening in front of you and figure out what side of the spectrum that falls on. You know, like I, I just, I hear so many people that are so stuck in their ways about one thing or the other. And like I said, I've been the same way before and all it will do is you'll become complacent and it'll burn you or you'll overlook something because of your mindset. Just constantly ask the questions. Why is this happening right now? Real time. Why is this bed here? Why is this handler here? Can it help me during season or not? You know, like there's, mm -hmm. there's just no rules to this whole thing. If there's, I use, I use both sides of the spectrum in every way, shape or form to try to find a good buck in the winter or spring to chase come season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I certainly, I, I certainly agree that there are no rules. There's a lot of generalities out there, but there are no like steadfast rules because bucks have personalities. Bucks decide to do what they feel like doing when they feel like doing it. And the first, one of the biggest red flags to me is, is like when I'm hanging around a buddy's hunting camp or I'm talking to some new people or whatever, and they give me a steadfast rule that like immediately makes me think like, okay, you don't really know what you're talking about. Because if they look at me and they're like, oh, a mature deer will never, ever enter the wind, enter a field with the wind at their back. They will only enter it with the wind in their face. So you have to set up like that. And my response to that is I have a hundred different trail camera pictures that will prove otherwise. Right. So there are like that, that's a huge red flag to me if people are, if people say that to me and I, and I want to just share that with all the listeners out there as well, because, you know, everybody's trying to gain information and get better and, and get more uh, informed. And the hardest, one of the hardest pieces is finding reliable sources and uh, to give you that information. And that's what I'm trying to do with the podcast here. And uh, most, almost everything we talk about here is, is generalities. And I would like to just yeah, make sure that people know, like if you're talking to, you know, your buddy or your uncle or some dude at a bar and, and you think he's like, he's telling you a lot of good info and then he throws some really steadfast rules at you, I would start to really consider their uh, credibility and <laughs> in, in what they're talking about, because it may, it may be something that they've learned on the 60 acres that they've hunted for the last 20 years, but it could be totally different on your piece based on the scenario and the surroundings. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So one of the other, yeah. Um, jumping into other rules that can get you <clears throat> or other uh, <clears throat> scouting pieces that can get you in trouble. Um, <clears throat> one of them is that I found is actually like winter trails. So on our, on our property, um, we have, I have a, a food source, uh, a 12 acre mix between soybeans and corn. 
And in the during season, the deer really like to enter it kind of one way. There's or not not I shouldn't say that. They have they have multiple ways they will enter it, but in general, they like, you know, majority of the time they're coming from the north end of this field. Once winter hits and snow hits, um, the deer across the street, across the road, they tend to move up to a new bedding area and they will come right across uh, the road and walk down our cabin's driveway and then jump over and, and get into that 12 acre field. And that's from the south. And then there's also another trail that actually comes from the east and cuts across their driveway as well that I have. I've seen those trails. I saw them last winter. Um, and then I went and set up trail cameras on them. And uh, for early season, like I was like, okay, well, if these deer are bedded across the street and I can pull into my cabin and walk a hundred yards down, back down the driveway and get up in a tree right next to the road and shoot a doe or even a decent buck, like out of my driveway, that'd be phenomenal. Right. So that was my thought was like, oh, this might be great. So I set up a camera there. Um, in August and I got like two pictures until like mid-September it was something like very very minimal you know I got some raccoons some coyotes and like three deer that crossed the road at 2 a.m so it just wasn't it they they have different bedding areas and different trails that they like to use and then there's another one that actually um, cuts across our property and it looks really nice um so, and it's the reason I went out hunting this morning is because last year I put a camera on it or two years ago and last year I put a camera on it and I had good bucks using this trail um, between like 6.30 and 7.30 in the morning, which is right at daybreak. So essentially they're leaving these ag fields and it's connected to this 12 acre uh, ag field. They're leaving it and they're going to a very specific bedding area and this is the trail they prefer. So I hunted it this morning. I didn't see anything, but the, all the tracks were there. They just probably weren't in that field this morning. But I put a camera there in August again last year, and I got like nothing. I mean, I got very minimal pictures of them going through there, no, hardly anything in the morning. And just about everything was in the evening as they were kind of coming out to the field, um, either after dark or right at, you know, sunset. And so that tells me that that trail is a trail that they really just like to use um, in the winter time rather than in the early season. So that was one that, that got me that I learned this year. Have you ever experienced that at all, Jake? Yeah, I have for sure. And especially the late season trails are, are a tough one because, you know, a lot of times they'll look like they're absolutely hammered. They'll have a ton of deer. That'll be like highways. You know, especially if you have deep snow in your area where once that trail is established, that's what they're using. But a lot of times this correlates back to summertime too. And I believe I saw your post about it where like big trails don't mean big deer walk down those trails. And that's really important because a lot of times in the areas that I have a mature buck, he doesn't walk down the main deer trails. He has a different way, his own preference of traversing through that land to get to where he needs to be. So figuring that out versus figuring out just deer trails in general is a big factor, which is why when I'm tracking trails, I try to go specifically from a bed as opposed to from a bedding area. 
you know, because there could be a hammered trail on top of the spine of that ridge. That might be adolescent bucks. It could be him, but it could be does too, where if you're going from a specific bed, you, you have a lot more accuracy with, with trying to figure out his route. Um, yeah, the, the trails is a big one. Obviously that's dependent on food sources and everything else, which is probably why you're seeing some sort of a difference. Like we talked about before, it could be a lot of the bedding areas have lost their cover. And so they're kind of stacked up in one specific area for a reason or not. Um, but I, I find that with rubs are the same way, you know, like we talked about rubs a little bit earlier, we touched on that and I, I don't put a lot of stock in rubs unless it's fresh before season, because I, I just don't know when that rub was made. I don't know what the situation was. I can't tell, Hey, is that a rut rub? Is that a early season rub? Is it a late season rub? To be honest with you, 90% of the time, I have no idea. So the only time I really put a lot of stock in rubs is if I'm out in the woods, like the first week of season, or even pulling some cameras in that early September timeframe, if I'm finding rubs, then that's like active real time Intel that there's a buck in the area. And then based on the rub, you know, if it's a tall rub or if it's a really big tree or if it's shredded really good, I can kind of determine what I think that buck might have characteristic wise based off of that. But when we get into like the middle of season or even scouting it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean a lot to me besides the fact that I know at some point in the year, there's a bunch of deer here for some reason while they have antlers (laughs) on their head. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure there's, uh, I was just going to say, I'm sure there's people that can dissect that a lot better can say, Hey, they're all on this side of the tree going this way. And this determines, you know, this versus that. And maybe I'll get there someday, but right as of right now, there's a lot better sign that I can focus on that helps me have success. And so I just, I focus in different areas. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 uh, uh, the two reasons I look at rubs, the two reasons I, I really take note of rubs would be like a, if they're super fresh and you can even see, you know, the wood shavings on the ground. Right. Um, that's always good. Uh, or B there's just like a ton of them. So like there's some, uh, areas that I hunt in a marsh where it seems like every poplar tree in that marsh is rubbed. Right. And that, and they could be five years old. They could be one year old. They could be this year, but yeah, the, the fresher, the better, but also when there's a very, very large quantity of them, it, and it's, it tells me that year over year over year, bugs, bucks visit this spot. Whereas like in a hardwoods setting, I never really, I don't find that often um, where you like find 30 rubs in like, you know, a 20 yard radius. That just doesn't happen so much um, in hardwoods. You find them, you know, here or there along the trail. So those, those marsh areas, I, I, that's where I really pay attention to them um johnny stewart who's been on the podcast and i saw a post from him the other day he likes to even take note of um if you find that really fresh rub with you can see the like the wood shavings on the ground take note of which direction they blew if they blew at all because it can tell you what wind that deer was using when he was on that trail and he made that rub so that was that was pretty interesting i thought 
Yeah, that's a cool one for sure. I, I like Johnny's thought there. And um, your thought, you know, like with the with the cluster of rubs in the marsh, you know, you basically you said, hey, at some point there's deer, there's a buck here making these rubs, right? And I guess the only reason why I don't put more stock in them is be I'm trying to be really precise, you know what I mean? Like, especially with the early season thing. And I just... I don't know what time of year they're making those yeah. unless they're real time fresh. Like you said, with the wood shavings, but I even run into issues with wood shavings sometimes where based on the type of tree, I don't know if it's, you know, three days old, one day old, a week old. Like I can't really tell the difference, even if they're on top of the leaves or even in the wintertime, if it's on top of the snow, you know, if we've had just consistent weather that hasn't had any new snow, like, maybe they've been there for a week. And so being a guy that really tries to focus on like real time Intel with, with sign that it's tough for me to determine that. And I think it's one of the, I, like I said, I know there's guys that can do it. And I think that there's definitely something to take away from it, but it's a, it's an art. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would also say I'm guilty of that as well. Like, I mean, if I find shavings on the ground, it's, it's my best, my best guess, right? Um, as to the time frame. It's kind of like this morning I was trying to cut cut fresh tracks uh to see, you know, I hunted this morning and then I did just did some real like light scouting because I know I'm gonna hunt around the property tonight. But I just wanted to see if there were any fresh tracks from well, either this morning and I just picked the wrong spot or from you know last night. And there certainly were fresher tracks. But like, I would compare that, like I'm walking through the snow and when I'd step, I'd like essentially, you know, uh, the snow is, it's really cold again. So you get that really, uh, cold weather snow. That's not sticky at all. And it just kind of blows at eating each step. Right. So this morning I was, um, when I was looking at these fresh tracks, they were certainly kicking up snow as they were running, but it was like how fresh or walking through how fresh was that snow? Was it like, were they here last night? Um, at, you know, before, like sun, cause we also had a really slight rain last night, which froze like the top of the snow, which makes it really easy to like essentially determine fresh and non-fresh tracks, right? Cause they have to break through that, that really, really thin layer of ice um, on top of the snow. And some of these tracks that I was finding, the snow that these deer were kicking up were also glazed over with ice, which tells me that the track was made prior to the rain stopping versus this morning, like if they came through and I just picked the wrong spot this morning, it would have been still been like fluffy and powdery and I would have been able to move it. So that's, you know, there's certain elements, like I got lucky because of the weather last night and determining that. But if I, like you said, if I would have had three days of the same weather and I would have been in the same scenario, I just would have been like, well, it looks fresh-ish, <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you have any other things that would lead you astray in, uh, I, ha I have one more, but I'd like to see if you have any others. Uh, I would say it, it depends on your area. If you're in a high pressured area, I think hunter sign can also lead you astray, especially if you're targeting deer early season. You know, if we're talking about scouting for 
the early season, you know, there could be a ton of tree stands out there, ladder stands left up all year. Well, that might be like a gun season stand. So don't count it out that it could be a really good early season spot still. Um, especially in like coming from New York, growing up there, there was hunter sign all over the place. You know, we had during gun season, gun hunters would walk all over the place. You'd find trash everywhere. You'd find like tank 69 bottles and scent wicks all over the place. And, but uh, you almost have to find a way to navigate through some of that stuff. And same thing, try to figure out what it is, you know, do these tree stands have pull-up ropes? If they have a pull-up rope, maybe it's more of a bow hunter stand where if it doesn't have a pull-up rope, maybe he slings his gun over his back, which obviously is just like, that might not be perfect because they could carry a pull-up rope with them, but just try to like dissect what's going on. Um, but don't let that lead you too far astray. And then same thing with the absence of hunter sign too, because a lot of people are mobile now. So you, you might get into a spot and not find it, not find a ladder stand, but maybe if you start looking for like scars on trees or, uh, you know, trail cameras, things like that, like that can all help you quite a bit with navigating and trying to figure out where there's more mature deer. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great points. And to add, just to add to that as well is, um, I do have a few spots, even in, in Wisconsin, it's illegal to leave your tree stands up, um, year round, but I do find them, um, on the public anyway, is, is pretty much every public land hunter does you find stands. Um, but there are the few that I have found most of those guys that have those hung, they hunt opening weekend and then they don't hunt again until Halloween. So even with that being said, um, or at least that's the way it seems, you know, in terms of, cause they'll usually I'm thinking of there's two tree stands with two different dudes that I've ran into that hunt them. And they tell me, you know, my stands over there, you know, if you could avoid that, that'd be awesome. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not really your land or your stand, but okay, sure. That's fine. Um, so, but when I, they, those guys also trim lanes, which is also illegal. Um, but you'll go out there and you'll see whether they're not, they trimmed lanes at all this year. So you can see like where their trimmings are and how fresh that is. And if they were there that weekend or whatnot. Um, and you also, you know, a lot of this stuff is in March, so it's really easy to track boot prints too. So you can see like, okay, did they come in recently or not? Um, and, and that's a, that's another tip to add to that is just because there is a bow hunting stand there, those guys, most bow hunters, I would venture to say like, you know, 60, 70% of bow hunters are focused on Halloween weekend to the second week of November in the Midwest. That's, that's probably in, in the East, like Pennsylvania, New York, Ohio. Um, that would be, I would say that that's a very, very, fairly safe assumption. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. It's probably pretty close to that. And, you know, that's why I like early season so much is there's still like, people are just starting to think about deer hunting. A lot of times when, if you're an early season guy and you're putting all this stock in scouting for that opening day and opening couple of days, you might be tagged out before they're even considering going into the woods, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. <laughs> and I've never, I've always tried early season. I've never been, I was successful one year. I got one uh, early October, but other than that, I have not had the best of luck um, doing the whole early season thing, but 
that's a whole nother story. I think my main issues is glass summer glassing. But the last thing I want to cover there, things that might lead you astray, and then I want to cover scrapes, and then we can we can call it good, Jake. Um, the last thing I want to mention is like an absence of sign, especially for like a pinch point or a funnel, does not mean it's a terrible spot. If you're going through in February, March, or April, and you find you find like a really good pinch point, you find an awesome funnel, and you're like, dude, this thing looks bomb. There should be sign all over in here. And you go in there, and there is absolutely nothing. Um, and you're like, what in the world? Like, there should be tons of tracks. There should be tons of rubs. There should be scrapes. Just just because there's no sign um, in February like tracks, droppings, you might find an older scrape or some older rubs or something does not mean that that's not good during the rut. Like if you're planning, a, if you're looking for pinch points and funnels, which are typically designed to be hunted during the rut, then you're going to find like that could easily be just a pass through corridor for these deer, which is exactly what you're hoping they do. And they just don't leave you know, they don't stop to make a scrape or stop to make some rubs. They're just, you know, it's a, whatever, a 50 yard, 80 yard gap that they need to pass through in order to get to somewhere else. You might not find that sign in February. It's probably likely you won't because deer, the pattern they have now is not going from bedding to bedding to bedding, looking for does. The pattern they have now is go from bed to food. And if they don't have to make additional, put on additional miles, they're not going to. And which usually is why those funnels are important during the rut is because they're going from bed to bed to bed. So that's another one that I'd just like to throw out there. Cause I know I've scouted February, March, April. I've found some really good pinch points that looked really uh, good from an aerial map. And when you're in there, it looks really good, but you just don't find the sign. Then you throw up a camera in October and it turns on fire um, the last week of October and early November. So don't, uh, don't discount those areas. If you find them and you believe in them and you're confident and don't put some time into them. Yeah. And then densities of deer too have a, have a huge impact on that. You know, from a mm. competition standpoint, like if you only have, if it's a low deer density area and only one deer's bedding on that Ridge and it's, it could be a giant buck. It could be a six, seven year old buck. But if he doesn't have any competition, he's not going to lay down a ton of sign a lot of times. So I have areas where, you know, I might find a scrape. I might find like one hub scrape and then not a lot of other sign, no historical rubs. You know, it, it's it's going to be situational based on that as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Appreciate the add-on. Um, okay, so last thing, tell me about finding what you do with scrape information and what you, how you break those down right now. Yep. So when I'm scouting, you know, throughout the next couple of months, I'll set eyes on thousands of different scrapes. You know, I get into some of these areas, they're littered with scrapes, but it's really a matter of trying to figure out what scrapes are valuable and then not valuable. And I think they all have a little bit of value, but I think more are much more beneficial than others. Um, some of them are. So what I'm really looking for is hub scrapes. And the reason I like these community hub scrapes 
is because I'll, I can get inventory off of them. So these are going to be areas where multiple mature bucks are getting up out of their beds or multiple deer in general. And they're going to like a specific scrape to hit that and to check up on all the other deer in the area before they go to their food source, before they go to their nightly routine. Um, you know, in hill country, that's really one of my biggest focuses. And what I'm trying to do is locate these big ridge systems that have a lot of topography, a lot of different bedding points where the deer will drop down off their beds into like a single bottom, you know, say that you have four or five ridges that meet and they have a bunch of different drainages. And it's like, uh, the, we, the spokes on a tire, like they meet in this one spot and there's a scrape there. That's going to be, you know, more times than not a community scrape. You put a camera on it, you're going to get a ton of good summer inventory. And in a lot of circumstances, you can kill deer over those. Uh, I killed my buck in Ohio this year over one of those. And, uh, two years ago or three years ago as well. Um, so that's something I put a ton of stock into, but with community scrapes, you know, as good as they are, you can also get led astray by just scrape sign in general. What I'll find is like, you know, field edge scrapes or scrapes on like, uh, food sources that are far away from bedding. You know, I'm talking more than a couple hundred yards away from bedding. I try not to get too hung up on those because they can be situational. You know, those can change with the food sources as they change throughout the year. Those can change based on a lot of different factors. The ones that I really pay attention to are the ones that are in close proximity to bedding where I think that a deer can reach that spot in daylight. So like I said, the hub scrapes are our big one. I found them on the, uh, like if you have a ridge system that has a lot of really good topography on it, and then you have like one main point that juts out into a bottom, sometimes even that will hold the community scrape, but it won't necessarily be in the bottom. It might be on like the lower third or midway up the ridge. Even, uh, I found a couple of those this year that I plan on putting some cameras on and possibly targeting for the same way. And then you have to figure out once you establish that, Hey, this is a community scrape, a buck is hitting this how can I kill this deer coming to this? And that's another part of my scouting that I do is, you know, like I know the food source he's going to try to go to after I want to either try to kill him on his community scrape, or I want to try to kill him on his way to that scrape. So between the community scrape and his bed, is there a food source? Is there a secondary food source, like a single white Oak tree, a green briar patch, some good browse, is there anything that he's going to stop at before he gets to this community scrape? You know, how far is it from the bed? Is it 60 yards from the beds? Is it 200 yards from the beds? That's all going to dictate where you can set up on that deer. You know, if it's a couple hundred yards away, it, he might not make it there in daylight very often. But if that community scrapes 60 yards from his bed and there's no food source in between his bed and that scrape, well, you might've found a gold mine. You know, if you can get to that scrape and set up, he might come down and hit that in daylight and you can shoot him first couple of days of season doing that. That's the other thing with these community scrapes. You know, I run cameras probably nine or 10 months out of the year. And my community scrapes that I find have deer hitting them almost daily throughout the year. You mature bucks hitting them all the time. Scraping activity ramps up in October. Yes. You know, they're laying down more scrapes, but they're not laying down community scrapes 
those are already established. Those are already being hit. Uh, you know, even if they're not actually kicking the leaves away, like say that the dirt isn't stirred up and maybe it doesn't look like it's being hit, that licking branch is still being hit. And that's a vital part of the scrape is the licking branch. You know, generally I'll look for a really good worn licking branch that has, it'll be like twisted and broke off from their antlers being tied up in it. And you'll see like historical breakage on it, or maybe all the limbs around that tree have been broke at one point. That's a pretty good indicator. Um, and if you're in like a swamp setting or a marsh setting, what I found is a lot of times you might only have a licking branch all year round. There might never be a bunch of dirt kicked up or a bunch of muck kicked up because you're in a, you're in the wetlands, but that licking branch might get hit every day. And a lot of guys are walking these transition lines, looking for scrapes and rubs. They might walk right past that licking branch because it's harder to spot, harder to see. And that could be where they would kill that deer at. So that's something to pay attention to as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. That's a good one. I haven't thought of a lot. I'm always, you know, looking for that big hole in the ground. Right. <laughs> um, so one, one question uh, out of that is scrapes are generally, I find them a lot easier to find than beds. You know, they're easier to spot. You can kind of guess where they're going to be um, a little bit better. Um, so then if you find, if you find a scrape before you find any beds, are you, you know, assuming it's a scrape in the woods, it's not a field edge scrape. It's a, a scrape in an area that you're like, okay, this is pretty secluded. Uh, there could be bedding in this area. Are you then like, how are you locating the beds in relation to that scrape? What's the strategy there? So I'll drop a pin on the scrape and I'll work up on the ridge system and try to, you know, you'll be able to see some, some faint trails a lot of times, or you'll see like some historical rubs, you'll see just deer sign in general. But even if you don't have that, I'll work up on those ridge systems and scout for beds anyways in correlation to it and you know i'm i'm only in spots where i i believe in my head i'm going to find beds yeah, like yeah every once in a while i'll strike out but generally there's beds there that set up the way that i think they'll set up so when i find that scrape it's just kind of like uh you know it's like okay yeah you're you're it's confirming what i knew and nine times out of time nine times out of ten the community scrape is where you think it's going to be you know it's going to be where all of the convergence happens, which is pretty easy to see on in hill country, like a topography map or, you know, transition lines in a swamp or anything like that. It's, it's generally pretty easy to determine. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally this, the hub scrape that I'm looking for when I find that community scrape, it's because I think I'm, I'm only in the area because I think that the bedding is going to be close enough to that, that I can target it. If the hub is way okay. off of where I believe the bedding is going to be, I'm probably not going to be in that spot anyways. Now, for other people that maybe don't have as much land to scout or anything like that, if you're walking the bottom and you find a really good worn down scrape, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you start backtracking back and trying to locate beds and then try to figure out, like I talked about before, those food sources in between the beds or anything that that deer could get hung up on and figure out how you can access that spot to get to that scrape, figure out if that's as far as you can go, you know, get in the beds. Can you see the scrape from the beds? Can you see 
that food source from the beds and just try to put that piece of the puzzle together. Uh, it, it should help. Yeah, that is a, that's a tough one. And I'm thinking even, um, even outside of, uh, like, like bluff country, like you're in, cause he, yeah, it makes a lot of sense the way you're going about it. You're like, all right, I think there's going to be beds up here based on, uh, wind direction and, and clear cuts and satellite maps and things like that. Um, and then you're finding like on your way to those beds, like you're finding hub scrapes. You're like, Oh, here's a hub scrape. Yeah. I expected this to be here. Awesome. I'm glad I found it. Um, let's go check and see if there's beds up here. And if there are, then, you know, let's try to figure this out. Um, and then from there, it's kind of following those trails back and figuring out where those beds are. Some of the, some of the, one of the things I was thinking about, um, and I know this kind of might get outside of your, your recent um, hunting realm in Ohio, but maybe back to New York a little bit in the sense of uh, when you find like a big scrape in a swamp or a swampy area or whatever marsh, it's like, okay, from there, if I want to see if this is like a hub scrape or I think a deer will hit this in daylight, you really got a couple options, which is like set your trail, set a trail camera on it and see if deer are hitting it year round. Cause that's another really nice thing about public ground in February and March is like no one's out there. Very turkey season hasn't started. There's no one else really out scout. There's very few people out scouting. So when you set your trail cameras out there, like certainly lock them up and hang them high and, and do all the things you should do to try to prevent theft. But at the same time, the odds of the, the odds of people tampering with your stuff are a lot, lot less in on public ground in February, and March, especially because, you know, it's not nice out. No one's out wanting to just take a walk anyway um but yeah yeah you can put the trail camera on there but then also like like you were saying backtrack from those scrapes to like thick areas areas that you think the deer would be coming from or areas away from the parking lot i guess just going back to seeing if there is a bed within you know 100 yards or so is that like kind of a uh if you find a really good scrape and there is not a bed within a hundred yards, maybe you find one within like 200 yards. Are you still like thinking about that scrape as a potential kill spot? Or are you thinking, nah, it's, it's too far. He's probably going to get hung up on something before he gets here. So I'm, I'm when it, it depends, you know, it's situational, but in general, if it starts getting pretty far away, I still run a camera on it because that's going to give me the inventory that I need for that spot. But I'm really focused on, okay, how can I cut this gap to this bed and hunt closer to his bed based off that scrape? You know, the, and it gets tough because say you have a hub that has a bunch of different points, right? And they jut out down to a bottom that has a good community scrape on it. And all the beds are like 80 yards. Well, you can hunt that scrape and you can hunt all of those bedding ridges. So maybe if you're off on your scouting a little bit, you still have a good chance of killing that buck on that hub scrape down in the bottom. But if that hub scrapes a couple hundred yards away and you start working up the ridges towards the bedding, you have to be a lot more fine tuned with your scouting because if you go up the wrong ridge, you know, this is going to be like a one strike and done kind of thing. If, if you go up a ridge to target a buck and there's four other ridges, well, if you're on the wrong ridge and he comes down the other one, now he's down below you with your thermals dropping and your wind blowing that way. And he's going to smell you up on that ridge system and it's going to booger him up a little bit. So yeah, 
preferably if you have the option hunt the one where that's close to the beds but if you have to go up towards there towards the beds just make sure you do your homework make sure that based on this when you know maybe that's a, a circumstance where you run a camera in between each ridge and that cub scrape so you can say okay you know on a south wind he's coming off this point on a west wind he's coming off this point okay today i've got a west wind i'm going up this point and you could still be wrong in the heat of the moment but I think that the more homework you do in that situation, the better of a chance you're going to have. And then you'll know how close you can get and anything else that he could get hung up on too. I mean, that's, that's all going to be valuable Intel. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a great point. Um, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, scrapes are probably one of my number one pieces. And then like those hub scrapes, certainly, you know, are very, are valuable when they're hit year round and you can find them even in early season, like you did with your buck this year. Um, but then also the, uh, uh, e even if you're not getting good photos on them, you know, right away and you're like, crap, you know, I thought this was a hub scrape, leave that camera on there. Cause it might be a phenomenal late October, early November, uh, situation. And at that point, like you just need to adjust your hunting tactics to say, okay, I'm not going to hunt this, you know, mid September, I'm hunting this starting, you know, October 20th. Right. And now you're just pushing your time frame back where you can go in. It still might be a great spot, just not opening day. Yeah, exactly. Based on switching food sources, pressure, anything else that could push those deer around. A lot of those will heat up at a certain time of the year too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, well, Jake, was there anything else you wanted to, I mean, we covered beds and, and scrapes for the most part and things that could lead you, you astray. Was there anything else that you thought we missed um, that you focus a lot on? No, I think that's pretty much it. You know, the biggest thing is getting out there, you know, take this information, whatever other podcasts or books you're reading or uh, DVDs you're watching, take that information and just go try it out for yourself and have fun. Try to learn as much as you can. And, you know, this is the time of year where you can put all of those pieces together and you can see all that hard work pay off next year. So enjoy it. It only lasts for a couple of months. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So that was a great, great tip there. Um, yes, certainly enjoy it. Get out there, have fun. So much to see, so much to cover. No one else is out there great temperatures for walking because you can walk for miles and not be sweating your nuts off like you do in august um so yeah definitely my favorite time to get out and like i said this is you know a lot of the guys that i've talked to um they like to do this a lot because they say they kill their bucks in the spring not the fall because they've already laid all the groundwork and they know what they're going to they have a really good plan of attack come august september rather than going, uh, well, I think this spot was good. Um, they just have a, a, a much more well-defined plan. All right. Well, thank you everybody for, for listening. Really appreciate it. Jake, if people want to find you, what's the best place to go? So you can find me on YouTube at legends of the hunt. I've got four or five pretty good public land videos up now, and, uh, hopefully we can keep putting out some content. I'd like to do some scouting videos eventually as well. And then you can find me on Instagram at Jake Bush solo. Uh, I, I post a lot of real time stories about scouting. You know, I'll be in a buck bed showing you like, Hey, he's here because of these situations and circumstances. And this is what he can see. This is what I think he's going to do. This is where I think I can kill him. 
And then I do like a day-to-day vlog of my hunts a lot of times too. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, did your, um, did you post your Kansas buck? Yep. Kansas buck film is up. Yeah. All right. Awesome. I got to check that one out. Jake got, for anyone listening, Jake got a really nice buck early season, which we talked about a few times, but then he got this scraggly weird looking buck, I would say, but oh, yeah. it was a great, it was a great story. Um, following the story on Instagram and then as yeah, you'll have to check out the video, but <laughs> essentially on Instagram, I'm, I'm excited to watch this. Cause you're just like, Man, I ran into a bunch of hunters. They said they're hunting the place. So I guess I just went to this piece of public that looked like garbage, but maybe I can get in a tree and kill something. And then the next uh, next story was a bloody arrow. And you're just like, I go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nice when it works out like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had uh, I had Vince Batiata on as oh, well yeah, yeah. a little bit ago. And Vince was like, Yeah, Jake goes out there and he just kills stuff and then and then he leaves. <laughs> yeah it was quick on me a couple of days yeah all right well yeah thank you so much for being on uh for everybody listening really appreciate the time hope you guys enjoyed the podcast uh hope you guys learned something new certainly 100 i cannot recommend it enough and i'm sure jake is the same way to get out and and scout this spring even if you think you know your land forward and backward get out visit visit portions of your property or new property that you haven't hunted have that backup plan have other options because maybe this fall you have no bucks on your property over a hundred inches and you're really looking for something in 120 greater and uh, you're going to have to go somewhere else for it. So hope it helps guys. Hope you guys had a good time. Uh, please review, leave a review and subscribe if you can. And um, yeah, catch you guys next time.